Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits and Mitch Rap Podcast. So what's up this week, Mike? Hey, I'm good. And I was just reminded about one of my absolute favorite things about this podcast. Besides getting to see you a bit more. But it's the people we meet. Oh yes, very much so. Amazing people. It's podcasts like today that I don't know. I, I love talking to books. I love talking to you. You know, I've, I think I've talked to you way more than we actually talked in college together. Right. Through this. But yeah, no, just meeting all the interesting people we, we get to meet, you know, from the self-defense pod to the authors to, uh, you know, we had cybersecurity people. Um, I'm, I'm working on a, an ambassador guest who's, who's probably going to be coming on next month. Uh, you know, just we get to talk to a plethora of people who just love to talk. So including our, our, our uh, guest today. Yeah, today we have a very special guest, and just to back up, we are delaying by a week or two our actual Enemy at the Gates book review pods, but today is is kind of sort of a book review uh, with our, our guest. We definitely, definitely talk about Enemy at the Gates quite a bit, but we're bringing on a good friend of Kyle and an advisor to Kyle as he writes and drafts all the Mitch Rapp novels that he's done, Rod has been there as, uh, you know, a partner that Kyle has declared as his gun guru that he he bounces ideas off of. I mean, what, a, what an awesome guy, especially for, for you and I, Chris. We've said on this pod many a times, we are not the experts. We do not have backgrounds in anything remotely close to Mitch Rapp, Scott Coleman, Irene Kennedy, and the CIA. And in this case, yeah, I was a Boy Scout. I got my rifle merit badge and my shotgun merit badge. But outside of that, I, I don't do much shooting. I'll, I'll be honest. And so talking to Rod today just about guns and firearms and weapons, like, man, you could tell what Mitch Rapp stories must mean to someone like him. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you, Mike. I think, uh, you know, he's going to talk about his plethora of, of jobs and careers that he that he took it's just amazing you know learning all that information from him and you know getting to know a little bit more about this nuance of the relationship that him and Kyle has and I think it shines a light I spoke about it a little bit you'll hear it in a minute but just the detail that goes into making these books making these really you know putting these books up another level so yeah we're excited for you to listen to this uh interview with Rod Gregg here it is Oh, hey, there we go. Can you hear us? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Good to see you guys. Thanks for joining us. Okay. It's been a while. We reached out too early. and uh, <sighs> Seems like it was like April or March. Right. Yeah. Now that we're talking about Kyle and we're doing Kyle's books, we thought a better time to have you on now perfect. than earlier. Yeah, perfect. Well, good. Cool. Yeah, like I said to you, we'll we'll just ask a little bit about your background. Feel okay. free to tell us this extensive resume, uh, all your experience. No, no one wants to hear about that. <laughs> well, they sure do if it informs how you advise or uh, you chat with Kyle. And then we want to hear more about your relationship with Kyle, meeting him, getting involved, and how he's come to trust your, your expertise. And then uh, maybe we'll just uh, talk about rap in general. That sounds good. Uh, yeah, just uh, right off the bat, I mean, Kyle and I've met, I want to say initially, right when he first 
got the nod to take over the series after after Vince had passed. And uh, I reached out to him uh, when the publisher announced him. And I said, hey, this is what my background is. If you need my help on anything, let me know. And I'm, I'm here to help you. Nice. Um, so, uh, and I didn't hear back from him for, for a couple of months. And uh, uh, until I guess he, he had a question. Uh, and initially, his first questions were, uh, well, you're a fan, obviously. And so tell me about what do you expect out of me uh, in uh, following in Vince's uh, footsteps? And he said, you know, he asked me some questions about if I took the character this way or that way, what do you think the general consensus would be? And I said, I, I think that uh, at some point it's, it's going to, you know, you're going to have to do what you do and you're going to have to, you're going to have to be the writer and, uh, and eventually you'll slide away from uh, what Vince had started. And I think that's what everyone would expect. I think that's what the family expects. And um, I think it took him a lot longer to do that than I thought. Uh, but he still holds true to a lot of what uh, Vince started. And I think a lot of people really appreciate that. Some people don't appreciate it as much as others. Uh, occasionally, Very some true. fun happens when the, uh, he, he'll send me uh, uh, an email that he got from a fan or a <laughs> critic. And he'll say, he'll say uh, uh, without divulging too much, but basically he'll say, uh, why did you do this? Are you just trying to kill the franchise? <laughs> like, okay, calm down, Francis. Right. It'll be okay. Um, but, but <laughs> yeah, it's we just sorry not to cut you off, but we just uh, did the Survivor, and upon like reread, uh, we've both felt that it it really did a true, you know he was sticking with the party line and it was very much like a Vince Flynn book written by Kyle Mills. And it's not until like, just like you said, it's not until later that he really took these liberties. And, but uh, we've even had other, you know, rap fans on who said when they read that book, when it came out, they hated it and they not hated it, but you know, didn't like it as much. And I think they purely didn't like it as much because it was written by Vince Flynn. So yeah, it's interesting. You, you said that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people, it seems like have just from reading uh, blogs and the pages, um, you know, I, I don't think, I think they just were upset that, that Vince wasn't doing it anymore. And it doesn't matter who was going to be taken over. They just weren't going to be happy about it. And, uh, you know, as much as we want to, we just can't bring Vince back. And, right. uh, and I think a lot of people realize that. And some people just can't get over that. You know, so um, I think he, he's doing the best he can, it seems like to me. Um, I mean, and I, and I have a different perspective because we are talking uh, constantly, uh, you know, during the week. Uh, many times a week, uh, probably we're emailing a dozen, two dozen, three dozen times a week. And uh, some of it has to do with the characters. Sometimes it has to do with the book. Sometimes it has to do with, hey, what are you doing this week? Uh, hey, Kyle, when are you uh, having to leave Spain, you know, for your mandatory immigration exodus? Or, 
you know, what's your, you know, what's the latest on getting a, uh, a new house? Uh, how's your house hunting going? And, uh, and occasionally he'll, he'll, he'll be running across some story uh, somewhere and he'll send it to me and he goes, what do you think of this? And I'm like, you know, it's about some new futuristic uh, gun or type of weapon system that the military is thinking about or DARPA's uh, doing. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. And I'm like, are you going to try to work that in? He goes, no, probably not. But what do you think about it? And I'm like, uh, you know, it's, it's okay, I guess. Uh, so, well, it's interesting you brought that up. Have you read the most recent novel? Yes. Right. The DARPA guy. Yeah, so there's the DARPA yes. guy with that cool, the, gr- yes. the, the grenade. Like, we talked, we wanted it. to ask you, w- yes. what do you think about that? That okay, taser so grenade. We, so we talked about that. And I, and I mentioned that when I read it in the book, I, we, I emailed him about it and he goes, well, uh, I said, you, I think you needed to set that up a little bit better. And you know, the way we talked about it and he goes, well, I did. Did you, did you look at it? And I'm like, yeah, but so, uh, so I went back and I, I basically searched on it and I, and I found it like in chapter two, where he prefaced it, uh, with the sergeant that was the guy that introduced, that showed it to him. Uh, but he did, he doesn't end up using it for another 30 chapters. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you should have just like, preface that a little bit more colloquially uh you know more recently than way back when he goes no you got to read it more carefully and i'm like okay okay i'll i'll do my best i'm sorry it was also one of the funniest scenes the way all the guys are goofing off with the darpa guy and just cracking jokes with one another because i think like maslick's there i think that's the way they do that's the way they do they they're like right you know they're not serious about anything until uh you know as many puts it two minutes out man you know and it's like you put on your game face and then that's it you know it's like flipping a switch and uh, and those guys are like that so I wanted to ask you, um, would, so I guess, I don't, who's it, Scott or, or is it Mitch who ultimately decides to pull it? And I know like my, my uncle, who's a cop, um, or it, it was a police officer, F, uh, canine unit, and he had to be tased in order to, you know, use a taser to know how it felt and see how, and then his partner had to be done. Like, is that a common thing for military professionals to experience like this thing before they, you know, to know how it's going to act? And and, because you see the DARPA guy like bolt out of the room. (laughs) He he doesn't want to get in. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, when I was, uh, when I was a cop, I, you know, we, we, I was there slightly before tasing tasers, Uh, Mm -hmm. but we did have pepper spray and we all had to get pepper sprayed so that we would know, uh, what it was like, right. and, I, and I'll be honest with you, I did not enjoy that. Uh, it was not fun. <laughs> I can't imagine. And nobody enjoyed it. Uh, and I, of course, I was the the senior guy, so I said, I, you know, I'll go first. And basically, it's because I didn't want anybody else. Uh, you know, I didn't want to chicken out. You know, to say, oh man, that's not good. I, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so, uh, but we, uh, so yeah, I, I, you know, so some of the guys that I talked to, they said, yeah, you do. Uh, they do want you to do it. Not all departments do that, but some do want you to experience it. They don't actually put the barbs in you. They just hit you with it uh, without actually breaking the skin. 
So you get to, you get to ride the lightning, as they say, but uh, it's not uh, it's not intrusive, and you're not going to get an infection. So yeah, they had us do that in my volunteer firefighting days. Uh, they loaded us yeah. up at the academy in a smoke filled room, and they just go, "Yep, take your masks and hoods off, yeah. and you've got ten minutes in here." Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we're hacking up along. Yeah, so I guess you know, it's just so you can understand that you're not going to die from that. Uh, right. You know, so that's right. part of it right. uh, is that they want you to understand how you know horrific it is, but also that you're don't panic, right? Right. So, right. Hey, well, this is a uh, great content. We want to hang on to it. So, okay, allow yeah. me to just, do a just edit it in. Right, right, yeah. right. We'll just cut it, sure, um, sure. splice it in. Yeah. So allow me to welcome our guest for today with tons of experience in law enforcement and more recently, tons of experience in a friendship with Kyle advising on the Mitch Rap series. We welcome Rod Gregg, who's been a police officer, a detective, Hostage negotiator, rescue diver, worked in forensics, U.S. Marshals, and an instructor on top of all that. Welcome, Rod. Is there anything you haven't done in the world of law enforcement? Thanks, guys. I- I'm sure there is. Uh, not that I would ever admit to that, but I, I will. I've always said this to people. I-, I always got to do everything that I ever wanted to do, and not a lot of cops can say that. Uh, I put in a lot of time and uh, and I was very blessed to have gotten to do everything that I ever wanted to do. And, uh, and I probably, probably didn't deserve to do a lot of it. You've had it uh, just from the, the bio that the Mike sent over. You've had a, seems like you've had a great career and we thank you for coming on the pod. Yeah. We really want to, you know, dive into some of these questions we've, we've sort of had for a while. We, you know, Mike mentioned that we could have you potentially come on and back when we started this or, or I guess a couple months ago, a year ago, um, but now we're finally into the Kyle books and he, he tends to like pick some, although while Vince was very particular in the military scene, Kyle seems to be a little bit exploratory in, in some of his uh, weaponry of choice. I know like we had our first crossbow kill with, with a Kyle book, right, Mike? Um, right. So yeah, it just, if you could just elaborate a little bit more about like what you mentioned, um, you know, you, you started talking to Kyle, but like, what was the first question that he reached out, you know, to you to, to advise on or, the first question that he reached out to me uh, for was he had some questions about how suppressors work. And um, so it just so happened that I have several of them and I have them for uh, pistols and rifles and small caliber, large caliber. And uh, so I was able to give him a, a very in-depth primer on how it worked. And also uh, I sent him some videos of me shooting uh and did some decibel testing to show him the difference between um, what it sounds like unsuppressed and what it sounds like suppressed and what it sounds like uh, supersonic and sounds like subsonic. And uh, so I think that really gave him some insight because he doesn't have a a really in-depth knowledge on weaponry because he, you know, he grew up uh, where he grew up. they, They just weren't, it wasn't that available to him. So that was the first thing, but I want to get into what your question was or your statement was about the crossbow. So 
All right. So uh, he he comes to me and he says, hey, I want to have Rap going into a cave, uh, dispatching a terrorist with a tactical crossbow. And I'm like, why? He goes, because it would be so cool. And I'm like, okay, but badass. But why? <laughs> He's like, uh, because it would be really quiet. I'm like, you know what else? You know what also would be quiet? A K bar up underneath the chin into his brain. That would be really quiet. He goes, well, but uh, the crossbow. And I'm like, <laughs> but I'm like, I love it. What can I do to get you off of the crossbow? And he goes, <laughs> no, no, I, I want to use the crossbow. And I'm like, okay. So he, he, he's been doing some internet searching. He found a tactical crossbow. And I'm like, okay, you know, that looks like a good one. And uh, I can, I can look into that. I don't have any experience with tactical crossbows. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why I wouldn't choose that as the weapon of choice. So I, uh, a great story aside, and I don't know if Kyle told you this, but so I, uh, I said, okay, I will go along with the crossbow if you will allow me to introduce that rap has a secondary weapon. Like that, you know, a, a regular weapon, like maybe a suppressed 22. And I've been trying to for a while get him to uh, be more specific, less generic when it comes to naming the various kinds of guns. Because, I mean, it's, you know, it's a Glock 19 and that's pretty much it for most things that rap does. So I came up with and, uh, a, a Volkortsen, uh 22. And I, I just happened to be Facebook friends with Scott Volkortsen, who owns his company. It's a small company in Iowa. And um, so I reached out to him and I wanted to make sure that they didn't have a model that was, had an integral suppressor. Uh, because I, I, that would be something that I would want to have if I was doing what Mitch Rapp was doing. And uh, I talked to one of their engineers and they said, no, we, we don't have that. I said, so if you put a suppressor on one, what's the smallest barrel that you have? And so she gave me the, uh, the model number. And so uh, then the, the owner of the company, Scott Volkortsen, reached back to me and he said, hey, uh, what's this all about? And I'm like, and so I told him, you know, it's for a book and I'm, I'm trying to get it introduced into the book. And he said, oh, that's great. So he got all the, he answered all the questions. And he said, and so send me your FFL information. I'm like, for, for what? And he goes, well, I'm going to send you one. I'm like, to test? And oh, he goes, oh, nice. He goes, no, to have. I'm like, to keep? And he goes, yes, to oh, keep. Wow. And I'm like, okay, let me get that right out to you. Because I'm oh, like, wow. okay, that's crazy. That's never happened before. But okay, let's do that. So sure enough, he and he he was true to his word. He sent me one, and uh, and it's a great gun. They are not cheap guns, but I thought, you know, wouldn't wouldn't that the one that Mitch would want? It's a high end uh, competitor's gun, made in the USA, made in the, the middle of the country, and I just thought that would be good for the story. And um, so anyway, and so Kyle thought I said, oh, okay, before you do that. Let me just check with Kyle and make sure that that's okay for me to do that. Cause I like, I didn't want to 
I, I didn't know what all their rules were. And he said, no, no, go for it. Yeah, it'd be great. Go ahead and do it. And uh, so, and, and so they did it. So I, so I went and shot it and I, I posted some videos of it. I think I posted some videos of it on the Mitch Rap fan page. Um, nice. But, uh, uh, but so, you know, going back to the crossbow, it's like, okay, so if he shoots the guy with the crossbow, what if there's another guy, you know, crossbows are, right. they're slow to load, you know, you got to have yeah. a backup. And I'm like, and so I think he, I don't know. I may be, I may, have, I may have misremembered this, but I think he, 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 there was another guy and ended up stabbing him with, with a crossbow bolt. I remember we went back and right. forth. Yeah. Uh, is it a bolt or is it an arrow or what's the correct, what's the correct name for it? And then I had to get with the crossbow company to say, okay, what is the decibel level of the mm. twang of the crossbow as it's fired? And they're like, I don't know. We've never tested it. And I said, could you? And they're like, we don't have one. I said, okay, da- do you have an iPhone? Yeah. Download. There's an app on iPhone. So download it and do a decibel test. And I think it was like uh, about 40 decibels, which is quite a bit quieter than a suppressed 22. So I said, I said, okay, all right, I'll go with you. It's quieter, but uh, still. Anyway, that was that was that was a funny story. Yeah, it's like a science experiment. Yeah. So a lot of what I have to do is like uh, go do ask the questions that maybe he doesn't have the time to ask or the background to ask, and uh, uh, and so you know I'm I'm talking to. you know, the engineers or the ballistics people, or, you know, we're talking about bullet drop and, you know, optics and, and, and different stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of what I do is I, uh, I, I send him like a primer of what his question is, uh, explaining it. Uh, and then I send him the more a little bit more complex answer and then the simple answer and he almost always goes with the simple answer uh so but i want to give him all of that information so that he can make the decision on how he wants to go with it so i mean and so we sometimes we'll go back and forth uh he'll say uh, he'll ask me questions about how he would list the particular guns model or you know, could he do it this way as opposed to that way? And I'm like, you could, but it wouldn't be as accurate. I, I would, I wouldn't do it. I mean, if you had a chance to do it this way, and so you know, sometimes, I mean, literally, we went probably 25 emails back and forth on that whole crossbow thing okay. uh, until we got it sorted out, and and then still people were upset with. Seriously, you used a crossbow, and, and and I'm like, so he sent me that because he was like, he knew that I I didn't want that, so he sent me that guy's email, and uh, and I said, so what did you tell him? He said, I blamed you. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> that's cool. the right answer. Yeah, I, I said, okay, so uh, so uh, should I expect to hear from him? He goes, yeah, I gave him your number. I'm like, well, I look forward <laughs> to talking to him. So, but oh. Well, you can have my number just in case any companies reach out and want to send me a free crossbow. Yes. I'll, I'll just shoot you my. They, you know, you know my they were going to send so. me one, but I don't think they wanted oh, me to keep it, and I didn't want to deal with having to send it back. Honestly, 
Um, yeah, do you just like FedEx that? You know, like, yeah, you, they can just FedEx it to me, and I have to FedEx it back to them. You know, and, but uh, oh, know. the package got lost in the mail. Yeah, I no. don't know where yeah. it went. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, it's details like that that really, you know, obviously that one fan was pissed off. But I think, you know, most fans, because if you don't, like, put that much work into it and you just willy-nilly, like, oh, Google search quick, I'm going to shoot them with this crossbow. And then, then you're going to piss off even more people, you know. Right. So I, I I really, you know, appreciate, like, you know, I'm not a military expert, but I can read things and, and, and see that it takes time and people are, you and Kyle are putting the effort to, like, you know make this right i was just gonna say in that scene i'm pretty sure i remember kyle citing the decibels and saying oh, it was like did. no louder than a sandbag like the thump of a sandbag hitting the ground you're, you're exactly right we did and we did have that discussion and we did uh he did he did say if i said this and this is often what he says if i said this would it be accurate or would it be the most accurate thing that i could say and i think that is something that he asked me would it be about like a, a sandbag dropping on the ground? And I said, yeah, that would be about what it would be like. And so that's how he used, that's what he came up with to describe. That was not from me. That was from him. And I just confirmed to him uh, that that would be accurate. See, to lay people like me, that that works, you know, yeah. it checks out. I love right. the story right. and I could tell it's, you know, it's it's got the meat there. Yeah. And that's, uh, I guess that's what he that's, you know, he, he's, uh, for lack of a better term, he's dumbing down what I'm telling him to make it uh, more uh, universally accepted to everyone. Right. Uh, instead of just to people like me. I mean, because I mean, we, we had the conversation all the time. I was like, yeah, but see, I would appreciate a little bit more detail. Uh, but it's funny that I've seen in other uh uh, stories people saying it's too much detail and i'm like mm. what book are you reading because i ah, there's not a whole lot of detail in that and uh but that's the way he chooses to write it and uh and it, and it works for him uh that's why he's the writer and i'm the consultant and uh so yeah no i mean i've seen in uh i've seen in other uh writers in the genre that I think they go way too far, uh, way overboard. Oh, there's, uh, there's some. Yeah, there's going. some like, way it's not overboard. Not for me. Not for not for me. I'm sure it's for other people. Yeah, but. no, no. It's well, it has to be. So I can I look at it and I'm like, you know, I don't want to dime anybody out, but I, I looked at one recently and I'm read it and I'm like, oh no, you did not just say that. That is so not right, and it's, it's so funny. Uh, a friend of mine, he was a special forces, former special forces. He texted me like the next day. He says, did you read in that book where he said that? I'm like, oh, dude, yes, I did. And I'm like, I could not believe it. He goes, he goes, I, I couldn't even finish it. I'm like, oh, yeah, give, give, it, give it a chance. But, mm. but there are people that are like that where they say, you know, if you don't get the small details right, I, I just I wonder what else is is not right so right that's why i try to do what i do and i think that's what vince did for the genre because the standard of getting all the specs right is obviously a tom clancy but maybe not accessible to a modern or younger audience like myself you know growing up in the 90s 
if I was picking up a book, it wouldn't have been Clancy as a teenager because the heaviness and the weight of it. I know for many people it would have been, but I think Vince Flynn wrote at a perfect time to make that type of story more accessible to almost like a pop fiction or a wider audience that can go bestseller or even bridge the gap of older generations. You know, like the greatest generation could read it and love it, but so could a young, you know, somebody who just enlisted or was just recruited at, you know, 18, 19 or 20. I think what Vince Flynn did was he balanced it perfectly of getting the specs and the details right but in a maybe a simplified way that was more straightforward and um, made the books accessible instead of one of these, you know, 400, 600 page Clancy novels. So I, I feel like he changed the genre. I totally agree way. with your assessment on that. I, I think he did. Uh, he, he, he came along at a time that uh, we needed a little simplification. We needed a little bit more uh, uh, story and a little less. You know, I, I, sometimes I feel like, uh, and I probably really shouldn't say this, but sometimes I feel like some authors will create the detail on things that don't need detail in order to mm -hmm. supplement the lack of the story. Right. Uh, and I don't think that Kyle does that. I think he goes the other direction. And uh, I would just, to me, it's, it seems a little bit uh, weighted. Uh, the way he does it uh, as opposed to the other direction. But, you know, I mean, I set number two on the New York bestseller list. So, I mean, how can you argue with that? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I really enjoyed the last book. I, I thought he did a really fine job and, um, and honestly, there was not a whole lot of me in there. So that this could don't tell him that I said that, cause that could be something that uh, he needs to move away from me. <laughs> so what did you uh what did you think of the ending uh, i don't know we we've already done our our spoiler edition with with we've ran that um right actually yesterday right. um so what what did you think of the ending and, and so, mike nash yeah i heard what he said um and uh, and i and i listened to that yesterday um and um and and i and i saw that he he threw me under the bus a little bit he said that uh, he said that uh, I said that uh, Nash had been tortured to death. And I, so I'm like, I look back through this long lengthy email that we went back and forth on. And I, and I said, uh, you know, actually I didn't say that, but what I did say was that if anybody deserved to get shot in the face, it was Mike Nash. That was me. I did mm. say that. So, uh, yeah, no, I just, um, he, he said uh, he, intended it completely different than the way I took it. And I said, I just didn't see how that was going to end with Nash not dying. I, I really didn't see whether it's by his own hand or by someone else's hand. Uh, you, uh, you know, he, he took, uh, he lured Mitch to this uh, uh, deserted place in the jungle with seven uh, uh, cutout mercs waiting. Uh, how, how is that not going to be misinterpreted or interpreted by Mitch as anything other than a kill team? Um, I, I just didn't see how Nash, as smart as he was, would think that Mitch was going to interpret that as, I just want to talk. If you just want to talk, we're sitting right. here in the car and we can talk in the car. You don't lure me somewhere uh, with seven guys and two snipers and, uh, 
and then you you're going to talk me into uh, taking me to where uh, uh, Scott and the team are, uh, where Ward and Chisholm are being uh, secreted. You know how how did you think that was going to end? Really, I mean, uh, there's no way that Nash could possibly think that uh, Scott and his team are going to give their their principles up. They just can't do it. They're not wired that way. And uh, so I said, I, I just can't see that um, that was going to ever happen. I, I can't. And, 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 and Nash had to know that that wasn't going to happen. So right. I, I, I never uh, and I talked about it with some of my other buddies that um, have some experience with people like that. And they're like, I totally agree with what you said. So, um, yeah, we just, we disagree on a lot of things. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, he, he, you know, I don't get paid. I don't get paid. I don't get paid to, uh, uh, to do, uh, to write the book. I, I just get paid to comment on the questions. And, uh, so. Yeah. I, I think there, there, there was no way getting out of that like uh, i think mike uh, off off the pod mike had mentioned that m maybe you know maybe he irene could have came back and put him in like siberia but it, realistically thinking about it i i don't i was just so shocked that he chose like to have bike nash do it but once he explained it you know in in our pod uh, it actually made way more sense like why you would do that because they're so such like characters um and it's hard to like you know have them exist in the same universe so yeah i just yeah. uh yeah i just i mean if if it had been me and i had been in, in mitch's shoes and i had uh learned that there were people out there and i sent scott out there and found out that there were seven guys out there cutouts basically unnamed guys not not agency guys waiting there for me, heavily armed. Uh, I, I, that, that's not something that me and my friends do to each other, honestly. <laughs> uh, so I, I just couldn't see that that was um, going to end well for him. Yeah. I, so I know there's a lot of, I guess you could say controversy on this last scene. And I've really appreciated not just Chris, but now hearing from you, Rod, and a couple other people, you know, a couple of our patrons we talked to about it. And I I always seem to be the one defending this final scene. I don't know what it is, but I bought into it hook, line, and sinker. For, maybe from a different perspective that I think Mike got in such – he was, as as Kyle said last week, between a rock and a hard place. I think he just – got so cornered and manipulated by the cooks. And I think the cooks have that sort of presence, right? Where you're for us or against us. You could even see how Catherine Cook was tempting Mitch or or testing him, if you will, when she intercepted him outside the Oval. So I feel like Mike just, he got played and he got in so deep where it became his career on the line and I think he he realized his only card to play was if I get on the, the Cook's really good side and I become director, that's the only possible way I could protect my friends from the wrath of the Cook's. 
Yes, I don't know if he knew the plan was to kill Mitch. It obviously was, like you're saying, with that setup and with that team. I, and if I, I don't know how Mike would have missed that this was basically the Cooks ordering a kill on Mitch. But I think deep in Mike's psyche was something like, I'm going to be the only hope once the Cooks really enact their power play. Once they start going after people like Mitch and Irene and my friends, I have to be in a position of power, and I'm already so deep into it. I've already done these secret things for them. I've already, you know, turned on the CIA. And so I, I just feel like he was in so deep. He had no other option but to be a pawn in their game, and he got confused. And when that happens at this level, it's a matter of life or death. And I, and I, and I understand what you're saying, and I totally agree with that assessment. Um, and I think the way that that plays out is the way it played out. Right. He realized that he was in so deep, he was in deeper than he could possibly extricate himself from. And he realized that there was only one way out. It was going to keep his friends from being hurt. Uh, and that was to take himself out. So what, during this, uh, the, the research process, um, obviously, you know, Kyle's writing the book. How much do you actually, you know, does he give you plot details or is he, is he very vague? Is it just like, tell me about this weapon? Like, were, were you able to piece together, you know, this, this book while he was asking you these questions? Or I guess you said you weren't, but you know, on other books, like the crossbow, could you, did you know, like. It's a great question. Uh, and, and, and basically how it works is, um, as he's writing his draft, he, uh, he, he shared with me the way he does it. He will write, uh, in quotation marks, rod, question mark, question mark, uh, for when he gets to a point where he's like, I don't know if this is right or wrong or what to stick in here. And so he just puts my name in there with a question mark, question mark. And so that when he gets done with the draft, he comes back and he looks, does a search on the rod, question mark, question mark. And he, and he gets some, uh, basically the paragraph in and around that. And he figures out what it was that he was asking for. And he'll put a question on there and then he'll send me that. And he'll, and he'll put that all together in a long word document and he'll email it to me. And, and so um, sometimes it's like, um, if I say this, is that accurate? And I'll think about it and I'll twirl it around and I'm like, yes. You know, sometimes it's just a yes or no answer. Uh, and then sometimes I'm, I, I want to be a little bit more pushback. I want to say, yes, however, a better way to preface that would be this or that. Uh, so, for example, sometimes just talk about the, uh, the M45 1911, 45 caliber, you know, pistol that, that Nash carried. So uh, Nash was, as we know, was a Marine. So the Marine designation for the the 1911 45 pistol is the M45. So he said, how could I just, could I say it this way or could I say it that way? And I would say something like, well, I would say either say just the M45 or just the 1911 or just the 45. I wouldn't put it all together like that because they wouldn't do it that way. Um, and if you were just doing it, I mean, because if you're, if it's not a Marine, they're going to call it something completely different. And so I try to make it as okay. accurate. So 
you know, if a Marine is reading that, I want him to say, yes, that's what we called it. Uh, if, if a guy from the Army is reading that, I want him to say, yeah, that's what we called it. So I don't want him to come back and say, um, no, that's not, that's, not, that's not accurate. And Because I think if there's enough of that, that there's uh, the people do like my friend, they're like, I'm just not going to finish the book. And I don't want, that's what I don't want. I don't want to get to a point right. where uh, guys are very, uh, uh, you know, have a, a, a great, a good experience with the military or the police work uh, where they would say, yeah, that is, this is like, so these people don't even know what they're talking about. I, I, I don't even want to finish this book. So, I mean, that's, that's where I'm trying to come from on this uh, to help him because I have an investment in it because, I'm again, I'm a fan. So I want it to be accurate for me, and I want it to be accurate for my friends that also read it. Uh, and I want it to be accurate for the fan fans that are also reading it. Um, but, again, you know, that's, that's how the process works. He sends me the questions. Uh, and sometimes it's about tactics. Uh, I remember, uh, I think it was the book before last, where uh, he was shooting a, a grenade launcher into a van with a couple of DEA guys. Um, and I, I remember saying, okay, uh, what are we, what's our, part, what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to incapacitate them? Are we trying to, uh, you know, you know, because you have to be careful when you're shooting into a vehicle that you don't hit somebody with a projectile. If you're just wanting to do that, it depends on where you shoot it through. And then you have to make sure that it's uh, you're using the right kind of shell so that it disperses in such a way that it fills up uh, the capacity of the van, the square footage, the cubic square feet, um, but not so much that it's going to kill them because it asphyxiates them so there's a lot of technical components to try to get it as accurate as possible like that and sometimes you'll say okay he's wearing a vest and he wants to shoot him in the vest but he doesn't want to kill him uh what does he need to shoot him with what kind of vest does he need to be wearing and i'm like okay well let's put those two things together you know there's uh you know, uh, you do a class four vest or, a, you know, a, a seven, six, two, uh, you know, like an AK 47 round, uh, you know, but you need to hit them in the plate in the center of the chest. And, uh, so, so I, I try to, you know, get him uh, as accurate as possible on things like that. Cause he at least does know enough to ask me those kind of questions uh, he, he did share that the only time he's ever gotten any serious feedback, uh, negative feedback on that was on uh, the times that he didn't ask me. And he just thought that he knew <laughs> and he was just going to go ahead and put that out there. Very telling and humbling. For him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. And he's really good about that. He, he you know, he he's he's great about saying, uh, you know, uh, I think he did tell me once he said, I, I've only known two experts in my whole life. You're one, and then the guy that fixed my hot water heater in Jackson Hall was the other one. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> but uh, You're right, though, about wanting that specificity because 
look at what Jack Carr is doing. Yeah. Where he's he's just a complete gearhead and everything he writes about, he has years of experience I love it. in the field. Uh, just people eat that up. People yeah. love it. Well, I mean, but if you look at his background, though, everything that they do is very specific. You know, you know, the, the round is for the mission. The weapon is right. for the mission. The everything that they do is for the mission. And if it's not perfect for the mission, you just choose the right one. And so that's what he's doing. And that's what I'm doing. But but Kyle takes it and he simplifies it. Uh, whereas Jack takes it and he makes it more specific. Uh, sometimes, I mean, and I, and I like Jack. I met Jack. I like Jack. I think Jack's a great writer. I think he's going to be an outstanding writer for the genre. And, um, but sometimes I think, in, is, is he, does he get involved courts like I was? I mean, is he getting these guns from people? Or, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it just seems like he's maybe, I don't know. Maybe I hope so. I hope he is. He's a, he's a, um, I don't know. I, I we, we we met him once, uh, and he's a great guy. But he he seems like a, he likes the influencer life. Right. So yeah, let's get his take on crossbows. Uh, we, we need yeah, to know what he thinks. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, he likes bows. I know he likes bows. True. Right. Yeah. right. But I don't right, think right, he right. would like crossbows. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> Somebody told me once once upon a time and said, uh, you know, if you're not shooting accurately, you're just poking holes and waiting on waiting on them to bleed out. So, I mean, if you're not hitting them in the head or in the heart, you're just poking hose and waiting on them to bleed out. So uh, that's, what I, that's what I think about a crossbow is I'm like, dude, there's no way there, unless you're hitting them right in the eye socket that you're going to, you know, you're going to do any serious damage with that. I personally, I wouldn't do it. I was just going to ask um, a little bit more about your Mitraff fandom. Like, how did you, you know, what was the first book that you read? How did you get into this series? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I can't even remember. I, I way back when, maybe. Uh, um, don't eat, you're putting me on the spot here. I don't know. Uh, it was way back when. I, I just know that. Uh, uh, I, I really enjoyed him, and that's how I found out that that uh, Kyle was going to be taking over. I was, you know, it's as sad as everyone else was that that uh, Vincent was not going to continue on. Nice. Gotcha. So you've been around though, back with the original Vince book. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, maybe I don't, I'm not even sure what the first one was, but uh, uh, term transfer limits power was transfer 90. power. I, I remember and term limits, yeah, term, term limits was, was written before. Okay, right, I remember right, term limits. So maybe maybe I did get in on the first. Uh, but but I've been you know a fan of the genre for uh, for a long long time. You know. So since people like you know you and us have have been around with Mitch for a while, we've seen an evolution in the weapons that he he chooses. How do you feel about this shift? Because early on, he was glued to the Beretta. I feel like the first few books, everyone knew Beretta was his weapon of choice. And maybe somewhere in the middle, possibly around Consent to Kill, I want to say, he switches over to the Glock 19. And there's one scene in Consent to Kill, he takes out 13 guys at a safe house, only with a, a suppressed Glock. And two of them are long shots out of a second story window. 
to guys I, I think the text said 80 feet away at a truck. Was that a good move to switch from the Beretta to the Glock? Can you really do stuff like that with a pistol? Uh, 80 feet away. Uh, yeah, you can do that. That's uh, that's probably a little, little over 25 yards, right? Uh, mm-hmm. More or less. Uh, sure. I mean, I've qualified many times where I've shot 25 yards. In fact, we were we were playing around at the range one day, and I was I had my uh, I had my Glock, and I was shooting at the the hundred yard target, and then I was shooting at the three hundred meter target. Um, I was getting real close to the three hundred meter target. I, I think you know if I would have had a little bit more, uh, you know, of course at, at that range, you know, the drop on it's like fifteen feet. You know, so, uh, you know, it's just all a matter of doing the math on what the ballistics is. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think it's possible that you could do that, uh, that you could take out that many people. Would, would I do that? No. Um, if, I had a, if I had a choice of uh, using a long gun, if I could have a long gun, would I, would I have done that? Yes, of course. Um, you know, we, we have a, we have a, an old saying that says, you know, your pistol is to allow you to fight your way back to the rifle. And so, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what we, you know, would, would plan to do. Uh, uh, but yeah, going from the Beretta, uh, I remember the evolution of my career. Uh, we had to start out with a revolver. So I started out with a model 19357. And uh, because we had a we had a curmudgeon range guy that said uh, automatic guns are the devil, and he would not allow us to to have those. And uh, we're back in the day we called them wheel guns and electric guns. And so that's uh, prob- most people probably have no idea what that means. But um, so, I mean, I, then I went to, I had a Colt 45 after the, after I was able to switch over. Uh, and then at some point in time, you know, we had, uh, we had Glocks. So Glocks came into being popular. And uh, so I carried a 45 Glock for a long time. And then I carried a 40 for a long time. And then I carried a nine after that. So I kind of went from having the bigger gun to the smaller gun. And so now I have, you know, I have like, all kinds of guns. So uh, I like to, you know, put stuff in that, that I have, that I have experience with. Um, so, you know, it's not unusual for, for me to try to get stuff in, you know, like uh, 6.5 Creedmoor uh, long range sniper rifle systems and, uh, um, you know, Barrett 50 cals and, and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I shoot my, my long range guns at 308. So it's a 762 by 51. So, uh, that's what I like to shoot. And I shoot that really good. So uh, with a suppressor on that, I can shoot at 400 meters and, and hit an eight inch pipe plate all day long. So, um, nice. So, you know, which is, I mean, it's, it's okay. I mean, I'm like, I'm never going to make the sniper team or anything, but, but as far as for what, you know, what I need to do, it's good enough. I mean, I don't hunt, so uh, that's that's just what I do for fun. And then, you know, we go out and I have a buddy that uh, we built a range out in, out in his, uh, uh, out on his place and in the woods. And uh, we should still target. So we have a good time. 
You need to get one of those, uh, that special like drone gun that, that they were using in the last book. With the DARPA uh, would, would turn any average sniper into a Charlie we, Wicker. Yeah. You know, we, and there is something that's kind of, it's kind of like that, you know, that they, they have one that kind of does that. Uh, and Kyle and I did talk about that, but then he took a lot of license with that, honestly. Mm. Uh, which was uh, which is really gotcha. unusual for him to be honest with you that he would uh, that he would take that much license with some uh, modern tech. And just call it a prototype. Yeah, there you go. Right, that's that's all you have to do. Call it a prototype, and you can make it do anything you want. It could have been a setup too for that awesome line when Rap turns to Wicker and goes, "You're fired," <laughs> and then the guy's like, "No, it's only a prototype. We don't have him in operation he yet." Goes, okay, and he goes, you're "Wicker, you're hired." <laughs> Right, just set up the joke. Yeah, yeah. So I, just based on what you're saying, I, I'm guessing the reason that he probably switched is because Glocks came into favor, and that's what Vince wanted to uh, put in. I, I was I always wondered why there was this big switch because he he just so heavily made it a statement that this was his weapon early on, yeah. Yeah. and uh, even brought it back in. You know, I guess I guess is, is it a retconning when you make your own prequel? Like but, American you know, like yeah. he, he used the he established that again in, in American Assassin. You know, well, so, uh, but anyways. if you look back to uh, American Assassin, that was kind of the uh, the military gun of choice at the time, and uh, okay. uh, and so I mean, it, and in fact, it still is up until right now. They're making the transition to a uh, uh, to a Sig uh, uh, variant, and so. Um, you know, I, I think you know there. There's always changes in the evolution of the guns. Uh, uh, the Marines still, uh, for a lot of for a lot of uh, like the Marsoc guys, they, they really they still like the 1911s. They still, you know, they still believe in the 45s, even though uh, you know I have a, a 45 SF, a Model 21 SF which is what they call a short frame, which, cause it fits my hand a little bit better, but it's, uh, and it holds, you know, 13 rounds, which is, you know, five, four, four or five rounds more than the, uh, for the regular 1911 45, but, you know, they still, they still, you know, believe in the old timey, you know, the 19, and I have some 1911. So, I mean, I, I love them, but, uh, you know, so you can still shoot the same, gun the same caliber of gun but not the same model of gun or the same brand of gun so sometimes it just comes down to personal preference and you know if you've had a gun like i've had guns that that broke on you or didn't work once mm. you know you have a gun that your life depend that your life depends on and it doesn't work for you once it's a trial line weight to be honest with you right you get rid of it I mean, awesome. yeah, you, you have to because uh, – and I, so I think that these guys are the same way. Uh, I would expect Mitch is the same way. and uh, But I can't – I cannot ever remember a time when I did when I had a clock that didn't work. Random question. Okay. Is it true what I always see in books and movies about the AK-47, how it was so revolutionary because in the desert – it wouldn't get jammed up or with snow that it was this very, you know, this, this weapon that you can use in a variety of environments. Yes. Was it true? Was that, was it that revolutionary in that regard? I'm not sure if revolutionary is the correct word, 
but mm -hmm. it is so uh, technologically different that uh, the the tolerances are so loose. I mean, if you ever uh, look this up one day, uh, do a YouTube uh, search on AK-47 being fired. I mean, the whole thing flexes like, it's like a wave if, as you're firing it. The whole thing is like the barrel's moving and the whole thing is just flexing. And you're like, how can that possibly be accurate? Well, it's not. It's not accurate. But it does, but it is, uh, it does, it, you know, it's, it is, uh, it doesn't break down often. Mm -hmm. um, it's reliable. It, it, it is reliable. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't have a lot of experience with shooting one uh, in that environment, but I do know people that have said that they would carry it as a secondary weapon for that reason. Plus the other thing, if you're carrying it into battle and you're like over in the desert or whatever, uh, and you, you, you can find ammo for it on almost any person that you kill. True. Right. So, yeah, right. Uh, so that's always a plus. You know, which is wherever the Russians have been, you'll find yeah. the ammo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> wherever they've sold it to. Right, or the Chinese, right? Whoever. Right. Right. Uh, I, I, that reminds that me about seven eighths of the world, right there. Right. Right. Uh, that reminds me of one of the complaints that uh, Kyle said he got was from a guy, and I'm not sure book it was, but the, he had shot in a uh, in the oil refinery and he said that the uh, the bullet mm. um, created a spark and uh and so the guy was like saying that's bullshit and and it doesn't do that and i'm like he's almost right i mean if he if you were strictly looking at ammo in the u.s by u.s manufacturers that would be accurate because copper would not hit steel and, and strike However, a lot of mm. Russian-made ammo is uh, the bullets are made of steel. So steel hitting iron would spark or could spark, not necessarily would spark, but could spark. So, um, so I gave him kind of a long uh, answer to say uh, that guy was probably right, but he was probably also wrong. Um, but but you know, Kyle said I should have asked you, and I'm like, but but you know what? In this case, you were yeah, right. You, you were right, so it's okay. Yeah, it's like another science lesson. Now you got to take chemistry to understand. Yeah, I mean, how accurate well, these you stories know, are. You know, I mean, you know when you you know when you hit iron on iron, you know, it's going to spark, right? You know that. Iron sharpens iron. Right. <laughs> I think I actually saw that meeting recently. Right? Was Very that from you? Yeah. I think it was on your page. Maybe oh, it was. Well, I don't know about no, that. But I don't... <laughs> could be our new tagline for the pod. Yes. There you That's go. That's it. That's it. <laughs> oh, well, to, to really start wrapping up here, we want to respect your time. I, I just want to go back to your career. I mentioned it briefly in the intro, but boy, you, you have just decades of experience in the industry. So out of the very many hats that you've worn, which one was your favorite? What do you look back on in your career and when, what role or what time period do you remember very fondly? I, uh, 
I think I have to say that uh, mostly uh, when I was a patrol officer, when I was first starting out uh, back in the early 80s to, to date myself, um, I, I, we, sometimes I, would, I was working evening shift and then I would stay over like three or four hours into late night shift and ride with somebody else uh, just because it was that much fun. I wasn't getting paid. I just wanted to be there and be part of the action. And I, and I can remember telling people for a long time, I would have done that job for free if I could figure out how to live. If I'd have been independently wealthy, I would have done that job for free because that's how much fun it was back then. Because we, you know, and, and it's just not fun today. I mean, I, I have buddies that are doing it right now and they're just like, dude, you, it's just not anything like the way you remember it. And uh, it's just not fun anymore. And we're just trying to get through the day and uh, just trying to get home. Just want to finish our careers out. Uh, and they just, they just look like they're so miserable. And I just like, it shouldn't be that way. And it's not supposed to be that way. But that, that's, the, that's the time that I, that I really enjoyed the most was when I really felt like I was making a difference. Uh, I was really out there helping people and protecting people and putting bad guys in jail and, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And sometimes I forgot to take names and, you know, we, we were just having so much uh, fun back then, but, you know, eventually um, I went through my career, I got promoted uh, and I got, you know, I was on SWAT for 10 years and uh, I did, um, I was at CID, I was crimes against children, crimes against uh, sex offenders, uh, family crimes, sex crimes. Um, so I, I've, I've seen a lot of really uh, horrific things. And sometimes I talk about that with my friends about the things that we've seen and the things that we shouldn't have seen and the things that we uh, experienced in our careers. Um, uh, eventually, I got assigned to uh, this newfangled thing. It's called computer forensics. I was a task force officer down at the FBI. And I did that. I was doing that for Garland PD when uh, 9-11 happened. And so the week before 9-11 happened, we were doing a search warrant in Richardson, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas, uh, which is where Garland is, a suburb of Dallas. And um, Believe it or not, this, uh, this place called the Holy Land Foundation, who had the upper domain for Iraq in Richardson, Texas, if you can imagine that possibility and all of the servers that they had and what they were doing. So, you know, basically they were uh, a front for uh, Hezbollah and Hamas, and they were collecting uh, money for martyrs. So suicide vests. Uh, uh, suicide people back in there that day. Uh, so if you went and martyred yourself, they would pay your family. And so they were getting money from people in, in the United States, basically to fund that effort uh, over in Iraq and uh, in the Middle East. So we, we did that. And so uh, we were out there, you know, we were out there for three days and uh, we were, we were having to copy drives and servers onto tape. Uh, that was what we had back in those days. We had, had uh, eight millimeter tape 
and a four millimeter tape. And uh, that was as fast as we could go. And that was the technology at the time. And uh, yeah. we were there for three days straight. And uh, a week later, 9-11 happened and we thought, oh shit, we caused that. We thought we were responsible because we had interrupted their plans and we had caused them mm-hmm. to jump ahead, Jeez. jump forward. And so um, Dallas became the pri- one of the primary sites for collecting information on everything 9-11. Even we got stuff from uh, D.C., Florida, uh, Las Vegas, you name it, because we had American Airlines in our, in our area. We had uh, Travelocity right. in our area. Uh, we, a lot of the things that we were looking at were in our area. So uh, I worked on that for like four months straight, like 80 hours a week straight, uh, just working on 9-11 related stuff. Uh, and that was as a task force officer. So I was still working for Garland PD at the time. Uh, I was a lieutenant. But uh, so one night, the, the, the lab director, the, the supervisor called me. It said that he wanted some more information on one of the cases I was working on for the State Department because the director was going to be briefing that president on it in the morning. And I'm like, okay, this oh, is wow. this is really cool, serious stuff. So that was really kind of the hook that, that made me uh, know what I wanted to do after I retired. So I retired and I went to work for the FBI for, for eight years after that. So So I did a lot of cool stuff with them. But computer and video forensics, yeah. Well, thank you for all of it. Even going back to just a patrol officer, that is quite a career. Yeah, no, that's – I'm telling you what. I mean, we we joke about it. We were like, that is the best job in the whole department. You know, and everybody's like, ah. But you know what? It it really is. I mean, you have to do those other jobs to realize it's the best job, right? So it, it really is. Nice. Yeah. Well, we thank you very much for coming on the pod. Uh, this was great. You know, really insightful. Yeah, and you know, the next book, maybe we can have you on see see what you contributed next time. Yeah. You know, uh, wh- when does uh, when when do you think you'll expect your first question from Kyle in in the future? When will you get that email? Usually, it's around uh, February. February, yeah, okay. February or so March. You got some time off. So yeah, yeah. I'll uh, if I can get him to. Uh, steer something in a more cool way uh, maybe i'll be able to do that but usually i have not a whole lot of success in that he's going to do what kyle's going to do what kyle wants to do and uh yes he does yes, he does we like him for yeah. that so. and uh so uh yeah we uh i told in fact i told him about the uh, thing with what he told me about nash and uh he said well i just wanted i wanted them to understand that not everyone reads the same book. Mm. And I'm like, right, you know what? True. You're right. You're right. Because I mean, we all read the book from our experience and like, I'm going to get different things out of it than you guys are going to get out of it. You're looking for different things in it because, you know, I can see what you guys are doing as you're reading it. You're making notes and you're like, what are we going to talk about? What do we need? Oh, yeah. to, what, yeah. what is this guy doing? What is What did he do last time? And so I don't do that. I just look like, oh, okay, yeah, that's what I, that's not what I told him to do, but whatever, you know, 
we're looking for that continuity. You're spot on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, before we, we really let you go, we have to ask, like we do most of our guests, do you have a favorite character besides Mitch? Who in the universe, it could be anybody, is is a is a Rod Gregg favorite? Um I you know, I I have to say Scott. Oh yeah. Yeah, I have to say Scott. Oh, he's a good one. Yeah. I mean and that and that seems like an easy answer, but um No, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, no, I think I think because he's <laughs> He knows what he's doing. I mean, he knows what he's doing, and he's he's not trying to be somebody that he's not. And so, right, I like that. It makes me wonder: Did you have any input on the water cannon? Because <laughs> that was wild. That was absolutely wild. No, he he didn't ask me anything <laughs> about a water cannon at all in the in the ditch. Yeah, I he was know. going for it. He yeah, was. I don't just, know. He, he was, was going. For he was it. I, you know, I, I feel I feel certain that he probably. Googled that or saw it on, you know, the French gendarme uh, shooting that water cannon at somebody. <laughs> yeah. That that whole scene had like, I it, it reminded me, like the build-up chapter reminded me of um, like, I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan, but the most, the, oh. the last season, there's this whole episode where it's like they're building up for the battle and like, you know, Scott is, it, it just had this feeling of like a medieval battle. That's and so true. I could totally see like Kyle like playing on that, you know, so. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I kind of, I kind of see that same, same thing. Yeah. Well, if you got any friends who want to give free samples of crossbows and water cannons, <laughs> just pass along my name. Water cannons. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to that company. I'm going to see if they'll send me one, and then we'll do a video of it. And I'll sh- and I'll shoot a watermelon or something. There How would go. that be? There you go. Please, That'd please be sick. tag us and tag Kyle in that video. Oh, oh no, that's too good. I will. Thanks so much. Uh, this was fantastic. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, guys. Thanks for yes, having thank me. You. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed meeting you guys. And, uh, I enjoyed listening to, to uh, your insight on things. Far more knowledgeable right, cool. about it than I am, for sure. Uh, no, we're, we, we just pretend, <laughs> pretend to know what we know. That's what I do. I do the same thing. I, I do <laughs> a lot of pretending. You make it. I do a lot of yep. exactly right. Thank you till you make. Hey, we'll bring you on for the next one. Okay, sounds good. Love to have you back. I'll do, it, guys. All right, see you. All right, cool. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed the interview with Rod. Really great to talk to him. Uh, crazy how he he didn't like one of our favorite scenes, uh, the the crossbow scene. We we talked a lot about it on the, on the lethal lethal agent pod. So, man, we did, we did. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like he said though about these books is everybody reads the same book, but you don't all read the same book. Yeah, no, you don't. That was a great point. He was spot on about that, and that's what makes it so interesting. Yeah. Well, so next week we promise you. We are giving you Enemy at the Gates, our takes. For real. Uh, for real. Um, so, yeah, sorry I had to switch that up on you. You know, life life gets crazy every now and then. So, yeah, look out for that. Uh, as always, we have to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us at mitchradpod.com or on Twitter and Insta. Actually, got a pretty some pretty cool uh, 
emoji responses to our enemy at the gates ex- explanation in five emojis so i'll have to read that out next week right yeah 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 so and as always just like mitch be mitch Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.